Hey, my name's Fernie, and I want to welcome you to week three of this, uh, the, the Root of All Evil series that we're a part of. And today we're going to talk about uh, um, this concept of becoming tight-fistedness. So uh, the, the, another way to think about this is becoming stingy. This is the tight-fistedness is just a, a biblical word that is used in the book of Deuteronomy. So I'm excited to talk about how we can, instead of becoming stingy, begin to release what God has given us to help other people, uh, whatever situation they're going through. It's going to be a fun conversation, and I hope you enjoy it. Get ready, because here we go. A couple of years ago, a friend of mine reached out and asked if I could lend him $100. Now, he said that he had some unexpected expenses come up, but he promised that he would pay me once his paycheck came through, which was at the end of the week. Now, I didn't really have a whole bunch of extra cash, but I did have $100 to lend him, especially considering that he was going to pay me back by the end of the week, right? But for me, the issue about lending him $100, that, that wasn't really the issue. The issue was that I didn't really trust that he would pay me back, especially not in the next couple of days. Now, I don't know about you, I hate lending people money for this exact reason, right? When we lend people money, especially friends and family members, right? Uh, when we lend people money, we all of a sudden, as the lenders, become money collectors. It, unless they pay us back instantly or quickly, then it becomes our job to be asking for that money to be repaid, right? And, and those conversations are just uncomfortable. And sometimes they, they feel and seem a little unchristian, right? I mean, because on, on one hand, the money is, is owed, and it's fair for, for, us to ask the, as, for us as the lenders to ask for our money back, right? But on the other hand, lending someone money who's in a difficult financial situation and expecting them to pay it back right away, like it, it doesn't really help their situation, right? It's almost like putting a Band-Aid on the situation. There is still an issue because in the end, even after the paycheck would come through, my friend was still going to be short on money, right? This situation is, uh, while not perfect, it's, a perfect, it's an example of yet another reason why the love of money is the root of all evil. See, because I didn't want to give my quote-unquote hard-earned money uh, to, to my friend, because I didn't, I didn't want to become a money collector, and because I had this gut feeling that he wasn't going to pay me back, I really became tight-fisted with my money. I became unwilling to help out a friend who was truly in need. See, if we're not careful, the love of money causes us to become tight-fisted. And if we allow ourselves to become this way, to become tight-fisted, then the people of God get hurt. The people around us get hurt. And that is literally the opposite of what it means to help bring about the diverse kingdom of God here on earth as it is in heaven. So what does the Bible say about this? What are we supposed to do when it comes to us becoming tight-fisted, unwilling to lend people money or share the money we have uh, with others? So I want you to listen to this text, this scripture from Deuteronomy chapter 15, verses 7 through 10. Now, if there are some poor persons among you, say one of your fellow Israelites in one of your cities in the land that the Lord your God is giving you, don't be hard-hearted or tight-fisted toward your poor Israelites. To the contrary, 
Open your hand wide to them. You must generously lend them whatever they need. But watch yourself. Make sure no wicked thought crosses your mind, such as the seventh year is coming, the year of debt cancellation, so that you resent your poor fellow Israelites and don't give them anything. If you do that, they will cry out to the Lord against you and you will be guilty of sin. No, give generously to needy persons. Don't resent giving to them because it is this very thing that will lead to the Lord your God's blessing, uh, blessing you in all that you do and work at. Oof, right? I, I don't know about you, but just reading the scripture, it stings a little bit. As I read through it, it's almost as if God already knew that our love of money can lead us towards becoming tight-fisted. It's almost like God already knew that when we become tight-fisted, when we become unwilling to share the resources we have, our natural reaction is to just hold tighter and tighter and tighter to our money and, and to avoid helping others because we're afraid of ending up with less, right? But over and over and over again, God challenges the Israelites and I think even challenges us to realize that in the kingdom of God, we are called to care for each other, even if it means financially. So let's talk about what uh, this scripture tells us to do in order to avoid becoming uh, tight-fisted, right? So uh, in verse 8, it says, it tells us to open our hands wide and lend generously to whatever they need. In other words, instead of holding our money tight with closed fists, uh, the, the scripture calls us to open them wide and give generously. But what exactly does generously mean? So John Wesley, the founder of Methodism, he preached a very powerful sermon titled The Use of Money. And in it, he says this. He says, first, provide things needful for yourself, food to eat, raiment to put on, whatever nature moderately requires for preserving the body in health and strength. Right, so so uh, provide for the things that you need. Right. Secondly, he says, provide these for your wife, your children, your servants, or any others who pertain to your household. Right. So anybody that's in your family, anybody that's in your house, like provide for yourself and those around you. Right. And then he says this: if when this is done there be an overplus left, then do good to them that are of the household of faith. Right? So in other words, give at, at the time there weren't any nonprofits, so you would give to the church, right? So give to the household of faith, give to the churches. So you provide for yourself, right? What do you need? Gain what you need. Give to, to a, a nonprofit. In this case, for us, would be a nonprofit or your church, right? And, but then he says this. He says, if there be an overplus still, as you have the opportunity, do good unto all men. In so doing, you give all you can, nay in a sound sense, all you have. Now, I share this quote with you because I think it gives us some really good context as we deal with what it means to give generously. See, for Wesley, before you gave generously, you first had to provide for your own basic needs and those in your family and household. You also had to uh, be able to give to places like the church. Once all of those things were met, we were then able to give abundantly out of what we had left, right? To help those in need. Like it's after we have met all the other needs that we were called to live generously with that. See, I think a big misconception when we talk about living generously is that we think it, that we're being asked to become poor for the sake of others living better than you uh, off of your own hard work money, right? But that couldn't be further from the truth. See, living generously means that once your basic needs are met, you are willing to make a difference in the lives of others with the surplus that you have. 
See, living generously means that as we put together our budgets, for instance, we have to differentiate between needs and wants. It, it means that we're not just going to go and spend our entire budget on our needs, forgetting or on our wants, forget, uh, forgetting the fact that there's people whose needs aren't even met, right? Wesley calls us to, to meet those needs in people's lives. Living generously also means that maybe we take a percentage of what we are putting into our savings and to put it aside to help people who might need help, right? So if you normally put $50 in your savings, what if you took $10 from that and you set it aside to help somebody who might need help that month, right? And I'm not even talking about uh, somebody who's homeless that you uh, encounter on your commute to work, to and from work, right? Although I think that that is an opportunity, right? But maybe it's easier for us to think of it in these terms. Maybe, uh, maybe for you, it's helping, uh, being able to lend money to a neighbor who is struggling to pay their mortgage because they just got laid off, right? I'm talking about being able to give to your friend uh, whose electric bill just put him or her over the edge and needs help paying it, right? Electric bills have been through the roof lately. I'm talking about your friend who can't afford books for school. I'm talking about your classmates who forgot their lunch and they don't have anything to eat that day, right? The reality is that there's constantly people around us who just need a little bit of help. And by intentionally planning to put ourselves in a position where we can help, we're able to make a difference in their lives. That's what generous living generously means and looks like, right? Okay, so if you keep reading through the scripture, we then learn of another way in which we can avoid becoming tight-fisted. So God tells the Israelites to not allow any wicked thoughts to cross their mind, especially as they approach the year of debt cancellation, or also known as the year of release. Now, before we talk about what it means to not let a wicked thought cross our mind, when it comes to those in need, let me give you some context around the year of debt cancellation, the year of release that this text uh, talks about. So at the time, a common practice began to emerge among the Israelites where uh, the more wealthy people would start loaning money to the less wealthy people. And these men, usually men, uh, who would take on these loans, they would take on them in hopes of acquiring some capital and some land, land on which they could farm and land on which they could build stuff. And hopefully the, the, the hope was that if they were successful, this could lead to uh, this loan could lead them to uh, having some uh, financial assets to them, right? Building some wealth. But you and I both know that venture capital doesn't always lead to success, right? Sometimes uh, buying land and either building a business on it or or starting a farm on it, whatever it is, sometimes it takes forever to begin making a profit, right? And the reality is that many startups fail, right? So since this was pretty much uh, the only way to create a better financial future for yourself, borrowing money from somebody who had a lot more money than you, what ended up happening was that many people were, were starting off in a bad financial situation, and then they would, they would acquire this loan, they would take on this loan, and they would uh, start a, a, a business or some sort of uh, financial investment. And when it failed, they simply ended up in a worse financial situation than the one they were in before, right? So these, these rich people were getting richer, and these poor people were getting poorer through these loans that were meant to give them a better future. Now, as a result of all of this, the Israelites were told by God to begin living into a practice called the year of release, which is the year that we've been talking about, right? So this was essentially the expectation that every seven years, all loans would be forgiven for the sake of not putting people in a worse financial situation than when they started. Now, uh, there, there's a lot of... Um, 
conflicting arguments around this, but most scholars tend to think that it was a set seventh year, that uh, it wasn't about when you took out the loan, it was just every seven years, loans were gonna be forgiven regardless of how long you have had that loan. So uh, to give you some perspective on, on what this looks like, let me, let me, let's consider a modern day situation. So most car loans today are for 72 months, which is six years. Now, in the year of release, when that happened, right? So in the seventh year, if there was still any money we owed to the lender. So let's say every month we have to pay $300 for a car, our, our new car, right? And there were a couple months where the electricity was just really high and all we paid was a minimum of, let's say, $100, right? There's still going to be some money left over at the end of the six years. So in the year of release, you would look at the person whom you lent money to and be like, you know what, your debt is forgiven, right? Don't worry about what you owe me, we're good now, right? Now, again, uh, scholars don't necessarily agree on whether this was literal, a literal practice or one to aspire towards, but at its core, this practice of uh, the year of release was meant as a recognition that without some form of societal restraint on these loan terms, the rich would simply continue to get richer while the poor would simply continue to get poorer and poorer and poorer. So what does all of this have to do with not letting wicked thoughts cross our minds? Well, just think about this. The practice of forgiving unpaid debt goes against the way that most things in today's day and age work, right? I mean, think about car loans, home loans, school loans, credit cards, any type of loan. Uh, when you take it out, there is an expectation that, that you have to pay it all back, right? Uh, plus interest. And in doing that, what ends up happening is that the financial institution ends up uh, being better off, right? They end up in a better financial situation. And, and that's just the way it seems to work. And look, this isn't a dig at financial institutions. That's just their job. That's what they do. They lend us money and then charge us interest for it. But think about it this way. Can you imagine if, if these institutions, if these financial institutions, if they looked at their borrowers every seven years and said, look, I know that I can still make more money off of you, and I know that you haven't pulled the, uh, paid the, phone, the loan in full, but you know what? It's been six years. I know that you have paid me as much as you can, and I trust you when you say that you know what, I'm just going to forgive the rest of your loan, right? Can, can you imagine that happening? I can't. My guess is that you probably can't either because that just goes against uh, the way we understand loans to work, right? And yet, that is what it was expected of the Israelites. They were called to forgive each other's loans every seventh year to trust that the borrower had paid as much as they possibly could, to trust that the lender would be okay with whatever amount they had been paid in return. So for a while, right, we, we get the sense that people bought into this, but through the text, we get the sense that as the seventh year approached, there were people, there were lenders who started saying, you know what, it, it's not worth it to give out a loan right now, at least not a loan that big, because I'm going to lose out on a lot of money, right? If I have to forgive them next year, they're, they're not going to pay me back, right? See, this text makes it very clear that for God having these kinds of thoughts were wicked. That if this was a way through which the poor could make some money, some wealth, and, and have their basic needs met, that not helping them was a wicked thought. See, when we become tight-fisted with our money, we allow wicked thoughts like this to cross our mind. And when that happens, we forget that we're called to help others have, at the very minimum, their basic needs met, even if it means that we end up with a little bit less in the end. 
So when those wicked thoughts cross our minds, right, the scripture tells us that it's our job to put them aside and, and to instead care for the least, the last, the lost, even the lonely. Okay, so if you keep reading through that last verse, one more powerful thing is said. It says, don't resent giving to needy persons. See, when our love of money causes us to become tight-fisted, anytime we have to open our hands wide, uh, we gain some resentment towards people in need, right? Many times because uh, we feel that way because we see it as unjust, right? We worked hard for this money, and now I have to give it away to somebody else. So throughout the, the book of Deuteronomy, which is the book we're in, we get the sense that God wants the Israelites to understand that this life is not about becoming tight-fisted and, and acquiring as much as we possibly could. Instead, God wants the Israelites to live in such a way that they willingly and longingly share their resources with all other people for the sake of everyone having their basic needs met. I've said this already. I hope you, you start catching on to that. See, God wanted them to understand that the best type of communal living was when they helped each other. And I believe that the same is true for us today. See, as we learn to live with generous hands open wide for the sake of making sure that every single one of us has a better life rather than only some of us, we have to avoid the, the, the resentment that we build sometimes. We have to avoid believing that our lives are worse off because we helped other people live more abundantly. And we have to do this because in the kingdom of God, there will no longer be room for systems that keep the poor poor while making the richer the rich richer. So I've said a lot. Let me recap this really quick. The love of money can cause us to become tight-fisted and in ch instead choose to hoard money for ourselves, right? That, that's the tight-fisted uh, piece. The good news is that we can fight this. So the, the, the text tells us that we need to choose to live a generous life, right? So put ourselves in a position where we can give generously. We need to avoid entertaining any wicked thoughts that we may have, um, and, and we need to resent the privilege uh, the, that we have been given to help care for one another, right? So to give without having this resentment against people. And living into these things, I truly believe, can help us loosen our hands and begin to turn away from our tight-fistedness and, and to really live the, God, the life that God has called us to live. So, so let me bring this full circle. Remember my friend who asked me to lend him $100? Well, I hate to admit it, but I really became tight-fisted through that situation. The reality is that even though I, I had the means to be out $100, like it wouldn't have broken the bank for me, the idea of just giving him money with no strings attached, uh, it made me feel uncomfortable. And, and the more uncomfortable I got, the more wicked thoughts began to cross my mind. Thoughts like, I should really just say no because if I lend him the money, he's never going to pay me back anyway, right? He's irresponsible. He, he sh I shouldn't lend him the money. And then those wicked thoughts, uh, as those wicked thoughts crossed my mind, I started to become resentful, right? Why didn't he just manage, manage his money better? Why didn't he just uh, uh, plan ahead for stuff like this? Can, can you see how quickly we can begin to become tight-fisted? See, un unfortunately, I missed the mark, and I'll own it. I missed the mark when it came to this situation. And even though in the end I did lend him the money, I did it with many wicked thoughts in my head and resentment in my heart. But just imagine, what if instead, uh, if I had avoided uh, becoming tight-fisted? Can you imagine the impact that it could have had on his life? 
Can you imagine what it would have looked like if I had been setting money aside to help in situations like this? And when he asked me, I'm sure it was really hard for him to ask. I could have just said, hey, here you go. Uh, use this. Do you need any more, right? It would have been easy for me to just give him the money. And, and when that money was already set apart for those situations, right, it's not as hard for us to give, right? Can you imagine if I had looked at him and said, uh, don't worry about paying me back, right? I mean, if I hadn't become tight-fisted, I would have been more willing to help him and to make his situation better. See, if only I had shifted my perspective, if only I had been more willing to be less tight-fisted, I could have helped play a role in helping him to turn his life around and get out of that financial struggle that he was. But I didn't. See, that is what God asks of the Israelites, and I think still today is asking of us to loosen our grip on money, to turn away from tight-fistedness, and, and instead to help bring about the diverse kingdom of God here on earth as it is in heaven by helping people get out of these difficult financial situations, right? And we do that by loosening our hands. Friends, I pray that you may experience the joy that comes in doing this. I pray that all of us, including myself, may experience it and make it a, a part of our daily lives. May it be so. Amen. Thank you for joining us today. I hope you enjoyed this episode of the Mid-City Church Sermoncast. If you'd like to dive deeper, visit midcity.church slash sermoncast to find a home sheet that goes along with this message. On the home sheet, you'll find scriptures, questions to wrestle with, and a challenge that goes along with this sermoncast. I want to invite you to support our ministry here at Mid-City Church by giving today. To give, text the word GIVE, G-I-V-E, to the phone number 225-307-0662. Thanks and see you next week.